Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is both a solo role-playing game and an experiment in audio storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Six months ago. The kitchen of the Sonari family home was bathed in golden sunlight, warm even in the depths of autumn, which this far south was mild. The whitewashed walls glowed with light, which reflected off the blue ceramic tiles adorning the countertops. A vine sprouting vibrant flowers climbed along the windows, casting a pattern of shadows on the floor. A hint of a salty sea breeze wafted in through the open door, carrying with it the distant murmur of waves crashing on the seashore. At the wooden table, a breakfast of olives, fresh bread and goat's cheese was carefully spread out for the seated Sonari family members. Mara sat at the corner of the table, nervously fidgeting with the sleeve of her tunic. Her parents, Mikanis and Selenda, and her two brothers, Niku and Andrash, were sitting around her, tucking into the meal and oblivious to her discomfort. Mara absentmindedly mouthed some silent words and drew a circle on the open palm of her left hand with her right index finger. Out of the circle rose the shape of a small bird formed of glittering sparks. It flew across the dinner table, startling her brothers. Her father frowned in annoyance. Mara, what have you been told about cantrips at the table? he snapped. Keep your conjuring to your room. You never know if the Inquisition spies are watching. I'm sorry, father, said Mara, her voice trembling. She shut her eyes and took a deep breath. Finally, she spoke again. I have something to tell you. What is it, darling? asked her mother. He was scraping up a piece of the cheese of a scrap of bread. Mara took a deep breath, screwing up her eyes. This was it. This is what she'd been waiting for the past few months. I've come to a decision. It's not been easy at all, but I've decided. I want to leave Tivolia. Selenda blinked, her mouth open in surprise. Leaving? Why, Mara? You are needed here. It is the harvest soon, in a matter of weeks. And who will help me care for your grandmother? Mara's brother Andrash looked baffled, as if he could not conceive of the idea of leaving the peninsula. Where in all the hells will you go? His mother cuffed him lightly for the blasphemy, not taking her eye off her daughter. Mara smiled wanly. I'm... I want to go to the provinces. To one of the colleges of magic in Forland. I wish to study the magics and learn the ways of their mages. They offer a trial term to anyone who can harness the energies like I can. I I think I can prove myself to them. Nico and Andrash exchanged excited glances, but Selenda looked even more concerned. 
Her father's face darkened. You want to live in the provinces, he said. You know they are our enemies. We haven't been at war in decades. Not for want of trying. They want more of our land. They provoke and pry, hoping to have an excuse to invade. Hush, Mika, said his wife gently. He nodded, then continued in a softer tone. Mara, the College of Magic is a world away. Forland is a fortnight's travel at least. Who will you go with? I spoke to Colotti the fisherman. He is travelling up the estuary in three days, and he thinks I can get a boat to the border lock easily enough. You have it all planned out, don't you? Mechanis said gruffly. I'm sorry, father, she said. But I've always felt the call of something greater. Tivolia will always be my home, and I'll return to visit as often as I can. But I need to explore the possibilities beyond our land. Selender sighed, teary-eyed. <sighs> it seems you have made up your mind. Well then, we'll miss you, Mara, but... We understand. She eyed her husband sharply. Follow your dreams, but be careful not to attract the gaze of the Inquisition as you leave. You know their thoughts on the use of magic. Mara nodded. After a pause, her family, even her reluctant father, embraced her in a tight hug. The sun continued to bathe the kitchen in a warm, comforting glow, and outside the sea shimmered under the bright blue sky. Andrash grinned. You'll make us proud, Mara. Show her these foreign wizards the real magic of Tivolia. Mara chuckled sadly. I promise, Andrash. With tears in her eyes, Mara held her family close, knowing there'd be a long time before she would see them all again. Day 5, late afternoon. Kilia. 7 out of 7 hit points. Elmanda, 13 of 14 hit points. Navi, 4 of 12 hit points. Mara, 8 of 8 hit points. Macus, 8 of 8 hit points. Longo, 7 of 7 hit points. Spells available. Read magic and shield. Navi has prayed for cure light wounds. The party shrank back, stunned by what they were seeing. The four shambling figures moved towards them. They had once been dwarves. They still wore the remains of chainmail, furs and cloaks. And what was left of their hair and beards hung lankly in plaits about their skulls. But their faces were falling apart, ancient leathery skin wilting away to expose the bone beneath. Only their eyes betrayed signs of vitality. An icy white light emitted from deep within their hollow sockets. Somehow, their muscles still worked, though they were not in control of them. Their arms and legs moved in jerky, spasmodic motions, and their vocal cords somehow emitted the eerie moans and unholy cries that no living thing could produce. Navi was aghast. What hellish thing has done this to my kinsfolk? He gasped. We can worry about that later, barked Armanda. 
Let's make sure the same thing doesn't happen to us. Makas and Longo were white as sheets. They had never seen anything like this. Kilia and Mara were much the same, but the last week had given them enough experience of the horrors of the world. At last, the party sprung into action, just as the dead walkers were upon them. Entering combat. There is no role for surprise, as the party can definitely see the undead creatures coming, much to their terror, and likewise the zombies do not have the capacity to be surprised. And of course, they won't need to take morale checks if some of their number are cut down. However, their slowness means they will always come last in initiative order. We'll go straight into the fight. Round 1. Elmander backs up his words of a charge at the nearest undead creature. He lunges at it with his longsword. Thirteen just hits. He slices deep into the corpse, causing... Five damage. Kilia has just enough space to take a shot at the furthest dwarf. Rolling a sixteen, she hits it in the thigh, causing... One point of damage. Mara, realising there's not much she can contribute to this fight, hangs back. Longo buffets an encroaching dwarf zombie with his shield and swings his sword. 15 hits for 6 damage. Longo's blow is powerful enough to decapitate the creature, whose skeletal head crashes to the floor, shortly followed by the rest of its body. Na'vi, meanwhile, cannot yet bring himself to attack fellow dwarves, even if they are corpses reanimated by dark magic. Instead, he mumbles the Acolyte's prayer to Kazan to attempt to turn the dead. He requires a 15 to successfully turn the creatures. But a 4 is a failure. His attempt lacks conviction. Makas crashes into the fourth creature with his spear. 14 hits for 6 damage. The spear impales the dwarf and forces it back. It's been a great round for the party so far but now the remaining creatures fight back. The one hit by Almanda lunges forward to return the blow, but with a four, misses. Another likewise lunges at the fighter, but again fails to hit him with a six. The dwarf hit by Kilia stumbles forward towards Na'vi, but with a four, even the clumsy cleric dodges the attack with ease. Round one definitely belongs to the party. Will this continue? Round 2. Na'vi again prays to his god to turn back the undead. With a 14, he doesn't quite have the conviction to succeed. Kilia, seeing the zombie she shot at it is now in combat with Elmanda, decides to sneak attack. Rolling to move silently, a 23 succeeds. She rolls 12 to hit, stabbing the creature for double damage. 6 hit points. Elmander lashes out at the other creature facing him. He's too cavalier. Eleven just misses. Maccus, overcoming his horror of the situation, attacks the remaining zombie with his spear. With a 17 he hits, causing... one damage. This is just enough to fell the creature, bringing it crashing to the floor. Mara again holds back, whilst Longo joins the fray around Elmander but with an 11, he misses his target. Now it's the turn of the remaining two zombies, both facing Armanda. The first lunges at him, but rolls a natural one, 
the zombie slips in the entrails of its fallen companion and crashes to the floor, missing the next round. The other creature also attacks the fighter. With a 17 it hits, its claws rake across Elmanda's face, causing 3 damage. Round 3. Kilia stabs out of the fallen dwarf. 17 hits for 2 damage. Her sword makes a great tear in the dwarf's back. Elmanda attacks the zombie who scratched him, rolling 14 for 3 damage, a large swipe taking the creature's arm off, yet it still comes for him. Mara stays back again, whilst Longa also attacks the fallen zombie, but misses with an 8. Na'vi, abandoning his attempt to turn the undead, decides to take matters into his own hand. He brings his warhammer down on the fallen creature, rolling 14 for 3 damage. The hammer crushes its skull, and the unholy light in the corpse's eyes fade out. Maccus shoves his spear through the final zombie, rolling a 19 to hit. With just one hit point left, the creature is finally killed, or re-killed to be exact. The combat is over. The party members breathed heavily, too shocked and exhausted to talk initially. Finally, Na'vi spoke, his words burning with anger. They take our stronghold. They ruin the craftsmanship. They desecrate my kinsfolk. It is an abomination. Whoever is behind this will face the unquenchable wrath of Gozan. Quiet, hissed Elmander. There may be more of them. He touched his face gingerly where the creature had scratched him. Taking a wineskin from his belt, he opened it and washed his face with water. Let's get out of here quickly. Those things may have been an alarm system. Look, said Mara, there's another door here. I agree, we must keep going. We may even now be being watched. A moment, said Na'vi. He knelt down by each of the fallen dwarves in turn, touching their flesh and murmuring a prayer in dwarvish. Then he stood. It is the least I can do, seeing as we can't bury them in the manner they deserve. Not sure burying them would be much help considering, muttered Longo, out of earshot of the cleric. The party gathered themselves together and headed for the second door. Behind the scenes. Now the party have defeated the dead dwarves, there are a few things to clear up, so to speak. Firstly, did Kilia succeed in checking this new door for traps? Rolling a d100, she needs a 25 or less to find any. 58. She fails, but fortunately for her, this time there are no traps to find. Secondly, it's been a while since I've consulted the mythic GM emulator. I want to see if the wound sustained by Elmanda from the zombie will come back to haunt him in more ways than one. How likely is it that an infected cut will turn him into the undead? I'm going to say this is very unlikely, which on Chaos Factor 5 means there is a 25% chance he'll sustain some kind of necrotic infection that will need to be treated quickly. 
Let's see. 70. No, this time he's fortunate. Finally, what is in the next room? The randomly generated dungeon I got from donjon.com says that this room contains a pit trap. But as we had a trap in the last episode, I want to mix things up a bit. I'll consult the event meaning chart in Mythic. Rolling a d100 twice, once for an action and once for a subject, I'll interpret the results. First roll. 43. In prison. Second roll. 45. Illness. In prison illness. Okay, I think I have an idea. Day 5, early evening. Kilia, 7 of 7 hit points. Elmanda, 10 of 14 hit points. Navi, 4 of 12 hit points. Mara, 8 of 8 hit points. Macus, 8 of 8 hit points. Longo, 7 of 7 hit points. Kilia opened the door cautiously, satisfied it was not trapped. It was another hastily constructed wooden door, shoddily put into place. Behind it lay a bare room, almost entirely empty, were it not for the cage that lay in the corner. Inside the cage, a man in ragged leather armour, similar to the bandits in Hollow Hill, sat against the wall, his head lolling down. He looked asleep. As the party entered, he looked up suddenly. They saw with shock that the skin on one side of his face was grey and rotting, although the rest of it looked healthy enough. Likewise, his limbs were sturdy and strong, with the exception of his left arm, which they saw was shriveled and withered. As he held it up before them pleadingly, he looked at them, an expression of terror in what remained of his face. The band of goblins climbed up the hillside. They avoided the human village. That was not their business today. The big boss had told Druk to leave it to the human bandits. Humans against humans would be of no concern to the lord over in the big city. But goblins attacking humans would be another matter entirely. The big boss did not want anyone to disturb his work. No. The goblin's job was to collect prisoners, take them to the dungeons in the old dwarf nest, and keep them alive just as long as they were needed. For that, they would be well rewarded with treasure, food, and some knowledge of the dark magics. Druk's blood was up. He had failed to find the gang of humans, and a stinking dwarf, and he was ready to take out his frustrations on the prisoners. That was another perk the big boss allowed him. As long as they weren't burned and broken enough to die, he could do what he wanted to them. Listen up, he bellowed at his gang. 
Now we go back in tunnels. Time to feast. Take prisoner arms, legs, juicy bits. But do not kill. If prisoner is killed, drug is punished. And if drug is punished, what happens to you? The goblins were silent until one raised his hand. Drug punishes us? Drug nodded. Drug punishes you, he replied. And there no rule about keeping you alive. He turned and sniffed the air, suddenly suspicious. He glared up at the strange old rock formation in the distance. The one that looked a bit like the face of a giant. So what you do here? He sniffed again. No, not new. Humans from Valley and Dwarf. He was enraged. Quick, maybe we kill humans after all. The gang galloped like mountain goats up the steep rocky incline above them. Thank you for listening to stories from the first watch. I'd like to once again say a big thank you to my voice actors. The Goblins are once again voiced by Katie Stamp and Lewis Hanrahan who plays Druk. And a new guest is Jason Cromines who plays the imprisoned and very unwell guard. The party have seen off one undead threat, but will they face any more? And what else awaits them in the dungeons of Karamund? Find out next time on Stories from the First Watch.